Made possible by Real Ale Brewing and the 8020 Foundation. Welcome, everybody, to a special episode of the Worth Repeating podcast. The live show is taking a summer break and we'll be back in the fall, but in the meantime, we're bringing you some of our favorite stories from the Worth Repeating archives. The first story that we're pulling out of the archives is from Thomas Porter, who told his story in 2018 about the time he ran away from home as a young man, then ran away again, and again. Here's Porter. When I was 14 or 15 years old, I turned my World War II mother onto marijuana because she liked to drive around San Antonio with our mixed breed beagle on top of the car. And I thought anyone who was suave enough to pull that off would not mind torching a J with her teenage son. I turned my mom onto pot. She turned me into my father who turned me on to corporal punishment, but not right away. He extended his hand and he said, son, promise me you'll never do that dope again. I extended my hand, shook his hand very earnestly. I said, sir, I will never do that dope again. And I lied my ass off. (laughs) Not too long after that, He opened his hand when I came home, and there, seeping through his pores into his bloodstream, were 11 tiny lavender tabs of LSD. (laughs) Purple haze. He pulled off his belt. He said, son, do not lie to me. What is this? I said, dad, I will not lie to you again. What you hold in your hand is purple haze LSD. But don't worry, I'm not taking it. I'm just spreading it out through the neighborhood. (laughs) The whoop ass I received began in the northwest corner of the house. It went through the den, into the dining room, into the kitchen, back into the dining room for some unknown reason, into our living room, down the hallway to the southeast corner of the house. He threw his belt at me. I chunked the deuce. I said, I am headed to California. I ended up in Tucumcari, New Mexico in jail. with this dumpster diving, low life, bottom feeder who robbed churches for a living. He said, son, you could get in the business I'm in. And I said, I'm gonna do everything in my power not to be like you. And by the way, your diaper is full and you need a change. My parents came from San Antonio, they brought, They got me out of jail in Tucumcari, New Mexico. 
They put me on house arrest for one year. When they set me free, somehow I got my beautiful Mexican girlfriend pregnant. <laughs> and when her brothers, who were digging gold in the Sierra Madre, came back, they looked for me to beat my ass like a piñata. But I jumped on an ex-pothead Jesus people caravan to California. They took us to Skid Row, downtown LA, where we attempted to cast the demon out of a morbidly obese man who somehow miraculously chased us from Skid Row back to Pershing Square. Again, I chunked the deuce. <laughs> I got out of that group, and I got right into a more controlling, marine-like group. And then I moved with the group to Houston. You could not visit your family unless you had a group member. You couldn't visit your friends unless a group member was with you. You couldn't return home. And that's when I came up with a plan. My plan was to get my GED, to get into college, because then if I returned a college student, no one could call me a dropout again. So I went to this program at the University of Houston for migrant workers to get a GED, and behind this desk was kind of a Yoda, a Yoda dude, you know. And he goes, son, why do you want to get in to the GED migrant program? I said, sir, I've been into a lot of trouble. I'm trying to become a college student. I miss my family, and I'd like to go home. But what is your farm experience? I said, well, in the backyard of San Antonio, <laughs> I, I, I grew this plant, a tomato plant. And I'm, I'm good at overdosing things, you know, so I, I OD'd this thing with miracle growers and was like a huge red balloon on the top of this plant. And it just, it was like it just sank there. He said, that is not farm experience. I thought, I got something. I sorted seeds from a huge pile of marijuana. It got me in a lot of trouble, my parents. He said, that is not farm experience. Go away in about a week. Think about the farm experience you've had. And I remembered, I came back to the worker program. The man's name was Chewy. I said, I got it. I was hitchhiking across Texas on the way back from California. I stopped at a friend's grandfather's farm. There was this old depressed dog. Looked like that dog hadn't played with anybody in a long time. So I chased this dog across down this row of maize, and here was this 11-foot-tall weed. I stopped chasing the dog, I pulled out the weed, and Chewy, who was sitting, leapt across the desk and said, son, you are in the migrant worker program. That is farm experience. I lost, I lost touch with Chewy. 40 years later, it is 2016. A man comes up in San Antonio 
when I was watering my grass. He said, hey, what happened to the old man who used to live here? And I said, that was my dad. He passed. He said, I used to sit with him. And I'm a medic in Vietnam. And he was a Navy, World War II in the Pacific Theater. And we used to talk about our military experiences. And you came out to the porch one day and you started talking about this crazy education experience that you had. Where'd you start? I said, in a program with migrant workers, I got my GED from a man named Chewy. He said, when was this? I told him when. He said, you know, 40 years ago, I was at the University of Houston. I was the director of the GED program. My name is Chewy. At that moment, we realize this thing is much bigger than ourselves. And I went into my study of my dissertation to look into this, that we have blessers, we have Chewies in our lives. We have a hidden alliance of people who bless us, who open doors for us. And uh, I just want you to join me now, because I would even though I lost my sister last year at this time, who was my chief blesser, the other blesser is in the back, Chuy, Jesus Chuy Lopez. Would you help me recognize him? Always, always remember our migrant workers put food on our table. Thank you for listening to my story. The next story is about a formative period of Michael Quintanilla's life in the 70s, which some people might have called a phase or a fad, but in reality, it showed him who he was. Here's Michael telling his story in 2017. My name is Michael Quintanilla, and I have a confession. I'm a recovering discomaniac. Now, I know some of you might feel sorry for me, but I love the 70s, right? And my two favorite gal pals, Polly and Esther, their suffocating threads hugging my hairless body. You guys remember the puka, the puka shell chokers high up on your neck? and the multiple gold chains with medallions the size of hubcaps hanging above our naked navels. My pulsating platforms, nicknamed Spark and Plug, sending me into a hot samba frenzy. In my white vested suit and black Kiana shirt, I flex my knees and point to my creator in gratitude I had the BG hair, 
I had the Tony Orlando mustache. I had that uncontrollable pelvic strut that still manages to provide some hip action when the boogie side of my brain strikes. Now here, I was a kid fresh out of Trinity University working my first job as a nighttime police beat reporter for the San Antonio Express News. My shift was from 3 p.m. to midnight, but when the clock struck, I busted out of my reporter's cocoon. I busted out of the good boy Michael image and became the Mac Daddy of disco. Squeezed into petroleum-based, tight-fitting repellent trousers. <laughs> I loved it. That showed off my bikini underwear also. Every muscle and tendon. Hey, you know what? Fashion hurts, right? It does. I always say, you got to suffer for fashion, but I love the nightlife. I love to boogie on the disco round on dance floors the size of paper plates. Remember them? I love to get lost under spinning mirrored balls, lost in the man-made fog, lost in the scent of Aramis. <laughs> but mostly lost in the thump-a-thump BG beat that made me want to celebrate another day of ah, 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 staying alive, staying alive. I partied and I partied. I partied so hard because you know why? It was an escape from the police beat, from the atrocities that I saw. Stabbings, shootings, child abuse, domestic violence. Women who were imprisoned in their own cocoons by men who wrecked them emotionally and physically like my mom had experienced when she was married to my dad. I so desperately wanted for these women to break out of their cocoons too, to rediscover themselves, and one did, my mom. You see, when I was hired to work the police beat, the job was mine. So I'm leaving and the editor says, Michael, wait, I have to ask you, do you have a driver's license? Do you have a car? Do you have car insurance? I said yes to everything, and then I took the bus home because I didn't have any of that. <laughs> but my mom did, so together, my mom and I covered the police beat. <laughs> Whenever a Code 3 call came over the police blotters, I'd pick up the phone and call my mom. Mom, hurry, we have a double homicide. <laughs> okay, mijo, I'm on my way. <laughs> and she'd show up, and she'd take me to the scene of the crime. And through me, she later told me, she became empowered. And she went back and got her GED, and she went two years to San Antonio College, and I learned how to drive. <laughs> and I had a newfound freedom that took me to the la-la land of disco. I partied everywhere. Let's see if some of you guys remember some of these places. I danced at the Last National Bank. I danced at Burgundy Woods. I danced at Hallelujah Hollywood. Can I get an amen in here? Amen. <laughs> and I danced at the San Antonio country where I soon unearthed my disco gayness. Talk about breaking the cocoon wide open. What a discovery. Okay, and discovery is my favorite word. 
Discovery, look at it, study it. The first five letters are disco. And the last four are very, very disco. That was me, very disco. The music, the dancing, the fashion, it made me want to shout, I'm your boogeyman. <laughs> Destination, funky town. Mission, to ring my bell, rock the boat, and love to love you, baby, at a disco inferno, because that's the way I liked it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I even worked disco into my work life with a disco review column. A line at the end of the column said, Michael Quintanilla is a police beat reporter who during his off hours dances, dances, dances. Indeed, I was a discoid. I spelled out, everybody, join me, YMCA. I bumped. I was a kung fu dancing fool. I turned the beat around with Vicky Sue Robinson. I hustled with Van McCoy. I freaked with Chic. And like Gloria Gaynor, I survived. Thank you. We're finishing off this episode with another story about a formative moment, this time told by Elizabeth Fowerso, who takes us back to her upbringing inside an especially laid-back household. Here's Elizabeth. The year is 1986. I am a sixth grader at Maharishi School of the Age of Enlightenment. You're going to be like, what? Okay, let me just get to it. <laughs> Maharishi School of the Age of Enlightenment is nestled on the campus of Maharishi International University in Fairfield, Iowa. Um, We are living there because my mother was a founding trustee of both institutions, and my father was head of the music department at MIU, Maharishi International University. And as a mother, I I now look back and say my brave, cosmic, peace-minded, global, helping-minded, amazing parents moved to Fairfield in 1982 Um, with the intention of creating a consciousness-based education um, environment and community, uh, which you guys might kind of picture in your mind when I say those things like a family-centric camp at Burning Man. Um, (laughs) But it was actually more like um, the campus of the movie Rushmore um, on this, like, beautiful bucolic Midwestern campus where we wore like Catholic school uniforms and put on plays by George Bernard Shaw and had mathletes and were champion debaters, but we also did yoga and meditated and maybe we could have French, Spanish, or Sanskrit as our language options. So I'm a sixth grader, uh, science fair. My My two goals were I want to challenge authority and I also, I want to do stuff with cute animals. Totally don't give a shit about science. (laughs) So I came up with this idea, and this is, I'm just like giving a lot of credit to my parents because they were like, okay. I was like, I just want to do, like, I want a bunch of mice, and I'm just going to challenge the fundamental concept of everything you believe in. And they were like, okay. (laughs) 
So, like, one of our tenants was, in our community, was Ayurveda, which is, at that time, it was, like, Cuckooville. And now everybody's like, yeah, Ayurveda, awesome. I totally talk about that in my yoga class. But Ayurveda is kind of like Chinese medicine, holistic stuff. So, um, um, the basic tenets of Ayurveda is that there are three doshas, or body types. And those doshas, when in balance, you're in great health. When they're out of balance, it creates all the problems that we could deal with. So dosha one, pitta. That is fire. So maybe some people that have lived with me or worked with me could know that I have maybe sometimes a pitta imbalance. Anger, quick to temper. And what you're supposed to do when your pitta imbalance is like, chill out, eat a bunch of yogurt, stop eating spicy food. I'm like, fuck you. I'm not doing those things. <laughs> Stay angry. Um, kapha. Water, earth. I mean, it's too low-key. Well, my husband's not here. I'm like, I'm looking at you, sir, right now. And then vata, which is air, uh, wind, high pulse, lack of focus, can't sleep. So I just wanted to challenge these concepts. I'm like, clearly mice are vata imbalanced. And if you're super imbalanced, the language we would actually use, deranged, vata deranged. I'm like, And the way you would assess a body type is by taking a pulse. I'm like, if you take a pulse of a mouse, clearly they're vata deranged. These guys just... So... I didn't really consult with anyone. I was just like, mice are vata deranged, clearly. So I'm just going to have one group of mice that I'm going to treat with all of the things that we treat ourselves with in our community to try and get your dosha in balance. So my mom, and she's not here tonight, but if she were, I would just be like, oh, mom, how did you do this? I was like, Mom, I need to go to the store and get all these mice, and we're going to put them in aquariums and put them in our house, and I'm going to treat some with these treatments and others. And she was like, okay. (laughs) Now, what's weird about my mom is, like, on one side, she was, like, having us take etiquette classes. We had to make our beds. Like, don't fuck up. But on the other side, she was like, I'm like, Mom, I'm going to have a bunch of aquariums of mice. And Okay. (laughs) So she's unfigure-outable in that way. So we went to the one pet store in our small town in Iowa. And when I think back, like, we didn't even have the discussion about, like, what gender are these mice? Like, we just, I just got, like, two groups of ten mice and put them in aquariums. And one group was just, like, drinking tap water and just, like, we, and we literally called them the plebeians. So, like, some of the stuff in this story makes my family seem like assholes and we just, so we called them the plebeians. Other group, we gave them vata tea. These are things you're supposed to be taking as a person to help you with your vata imbalance. Vata tea, some herbal supplements, and also listen to kandarvaved, which is supposed to get your dosha imbalance. So we have these two groups. Because we didn't do any work on segregating them by sex, two groups of 10 quickly became like, two groups of 20, 30, 40. Like, this started, like, causing me some stress, and I was like, I don't know, Mom, Dad, what's... And, like, the same group of people that were like, put your napkin on your lap. Also, we're just like, oh, honey, that's so interesting. Who cares? Like, but we have this, like, giant growing population of mice in our basement. 
also, P.S. Science, total garbage control groups. Clearly, like the validity of the project has ceased to exist. Then, but okay, let's just keep going. So one day we're coming home. My sister, who's sitting right here, so she can attest to the truth of this story, because it's going to sound like I'm exaggerating, it's like making this up for fun. She was there, so you can ask her after. So we come into our mudroom. Those of you who know about the mudroom in the Midwest, like coming in, and it was the winter, like boots, come in, and like right off the bat, I was like, what is that, 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 line of dead mice one another another gutted and like pretty symmetrical like like dining room kitchen living room down like one per step bang 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 down to the playroom bang 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 to the storage area of the basement the the storage like uh, room where all of my wonderful experiment was going on. Walk in, and my mom and my sister and I were just like wordlessly following this. Walk in, and there's Cheeto. Cheeto is our Siamese cat. He is kind of like a low, in normal days, he's kind of a low-key, overweight, you know, kaffa cat with a little kink in his tail. But we walk in, his whole muzzle is like smeared with blood. His tail is doing this weird waving thing. And he's making this sound like this, like And I was like I didn't recognize what was happening until years later when I saw Apocalypse Now. Marlon Brando like and we were like t- scared of him. But who is that? But what, what, for, for Cheeto, he was like he was like a bureaucrat, like a first-year police officer who busted like the biggest cartel ever. Who was like, you guys, shit is going down, and I'm doing everything I can. mice in his paws so Joey and my mom and I were like ah! like screamed because it was it was a horror it was a bloodbath ran upstairs called my dad who's like the most non-violent person ever like what is he gonna do like we were much better equipped he was like hey you guys I'm just writing a piece a song about world peace like get back here there's death and carnage so we came back to the house we kind of pulled Cheeto out of the mix I tried to, like, nurse some wounded mice back to health, and they're dead in my hands when I, like, kind of fell asleep, and I was like, (gasps) okay, so now clearly, again, this is an inflection point. The project is ruined. There's not a science fair project anymore here, but we just kind of never addressed that. We just kept going forward, so it was like, mom, I'm going to need more mice for my project because of the death, and she's like, okay, so we called the pet store, and the guy was like, oh, you bought all the mice. 
small town. So then we had to go to a town called Atumwa. So our town is like a place where you could like meditate in a golden dome, get some good Indian food, go to an organic garden. 35 miles south is Atumwa, kind of nestled between the like mud-gorged banks of the Des Moines River and like a swath of slaughterhouses and meatpacking factories. Um, and it's where like Al Capone had supposedly a hideout. So it's a pretty dark, hard core place and we went there to get some mice. So we went to their pet store and we were so fritzed out, we were just like, we need all the mice that you have. And they're like, we have nine mice, just put them in bags. So we just stick these bags home. And whereas my initial mice were these kind of like little anthropomorphized Beatrice Potter kind of creatures, these guys, much like the residents of Atama, were like aggressive bruisers who didn't give a fuck. So we put them into the aquariums with these like devastated survivors, like nine, nine in one and like seven in the other. We dumped them in, and they were like three times the size of the little mice. And right off the bat, they were just like aggressing on them. And I was like, maybe they'll be okay. So an hour later, I came back and they'd been like pulling the hair off of them. It was really like the horror. So I immediately just pulled those assholes out, put them back in their bags and threw them into the snow. I told you, I also implicate myself as an asshole in this story. I was like, get out. So... Again, we're at an inflection point. There isn't a project here. And we just never even discussed it. Like, we're just going to keep going. So we kept going. Over the next three weeks, they, re- like, reproduced. So my nine and eight became, like, 23 and, like, 26. And I t- my very flawed end game was to run them through a maze I made of paper plates, like, taped together. <laughs> And I said, low science. So trying to run them through. It's like the devastated surviving parents, like adolescent mice, like they were not running. They were climbing the plates and pooping and running under. And I was like crying. And I'd already been like so traumatized by mice. I had like kicked a hole in the wall by my bed because I thought I heard mice scratching in the wall. And so my mom, who's very moral, but like came up to me and just like, handed me my clipboard and a pen just was like finish this <laughs> so I just made up data <laughs> and whereas once I thought I'm like I'm going to challenge authority and prove that this doesn't work I was like I just want to conform I want the safety <laughs> I want something good and I think my mom knew like we couldn't take another hit as a family it was too much <laughs> So we just like put the poster board together and just lied. Everybody just like, but it happened. I won second prize. Like, then we had all these mice. And it was March in Iowa, and we were actually going to drive the hour and a half to the Cedar Rapids airport and go to Hawaii for spring break. So they were like, Okay, we have a cat sitter coming, but we have two aquariums full of like 46 and like 43 mice each. So I was like, oh, what are we going to do with these mice? And she was like, 
Just pack the car, put him in the... We'll figure it out on the way there. I still can't believe that idea. We're just driving to the airport with like roughly 100 mice in our car. And in the winter in Iowa, like spring, which is also winter, so don't live there. Driving. We're just driving... We drive by this barn area that was owned by this guy that was like this kind of like perpetual teenager trust fund utopia seeker who was my parents' semi-friend and kind of a jerk. And we were like, there's a barn there. So we just dumped all of our mice in that barn and just drove to the airport and went to Hawaii. Never told him, Jeff, that his years-long... This barn is so filled with mice. We were like, life is a mystery that could really never... Thank you. (laughs) Worth Repeating returns this fall on September 13th with Awkward stories about regret, chagrin, or being in between. You can submit your story at www.tpr.org backslash WR. Join us for Summer Night City every Thursday at Legacy Park in July. We look forward to seeing you.